Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. And with me today in our studio, Nabil Safi. Nabil is a part of our CBH Christians Broadcasting Hope family. He is our Arabic voice in a program that reaches parts of the world that speak Arabic as their first language. His home is in Beirut, Lebanon, but he lives now here in the States. Nabil, welcome. Thank you, Jim. Always good to see you. And Nabil, you're not just here by your lonesome. You brought a friend, someone with whom you have grown up in Beirut and someone who still calls Lebanon home and is flying back there today. Introduce him to us. Yes, Jim, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, I have with me Maher Al-Hajj, who he and I grew up in the same, almost the same congregation, the same city, and we uh, grew up in the, under the same circumstances, and we were, were both called to ministry, but each of us were called in a different direction, and he has a wonderful story to share. And uh, Maher, we're so glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Um, I'm happy to be here. And would you say that knowing Nabil for this lifetime, you still call him a friend? Yes, I do. Ah, man full of (laughs) grace. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about how Maher and his world has been rocked by current events and how the gospel, which is timeless, is still coming into play with great power. As you listen to our broadcast today, you may think of a question or a comment that you'd like to share, and we want you to know we're always glad to hear from you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we have a toll-free number. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. We're right by the phone. Now, I'll give you the number again at the end of our program today, but just for now, know this. We're always glad to hear from you. Today, I have two guests in our Dwight Dye studio the Viewpoint Studio, where this program is produced. Nabil Safi is the Arabic speaker of our sister broadcast, which speaks to the Arabic-speaking world. And he has here today a friend visiting from Beirut, Lebanon. His name is Maher. And Maher uh, has just come from Beirut. He's for a few days here in the States. Now he's going back actually today to be reunited with his family. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Maher, first, before we dive into the context of your world, which is so stressful these days as we look at the headlines from the outside, you're married and you have a family, is that right? Yes, I'm married and have a family, two kids, a five-year-old Timothy and a one-and-a-half-year-old Michaela. And um, I'm from Beirut and uh, I'm the National Director of Youth for Christ in Lebanon. And uh, as you have spent your lifetime in Beirut, I'm going to guess you've seen your country, your city, go through many different seasons, lots of change-ups in your lifetime. A lot, starting from the Civil War, then the end of the Civil War in 1990, and then when the Syrian army and government came to my country, and then the other wars here and there, and the mini wars, and the rumors of wars. So it's been been quite busy. Lebanon is a tiny place, really, when you think of its geography on a map. Its neighbors are often in conflict with each other and sometimes with Lebanon. And so on the south, there's Israel, and Israel sometimes has issues with the people who live in the south of Lebanon. To the east, there is Syria, of course, and Syria, as everyone knows, is in great distress right now. But even before the civil war in Syria broke out, there were difficulties between Lebanon and Syria. What's up north? What's just north of Lebanon? Also Syria. Syria surrounds the whole. Yes. But just a little sliver of Syria, mm-hmm. and beyond that is Turkey. And uh, they have a tense relationship, Syria and Turkey do. Then, of course, there's the Mediterranean coast. And mm-hmm. let me just say, I have been to Lebanon. And for all the headlines you've read, and for all the things you've imagined about it, for all the bombed-out buildings you once read about in the newspaper or saw in the news, 
it is a spectacularly beautiful and welcoming place. In fact, in all the world, I can't think of another place that has surprised me so much for its beauty as Beirut itself. You know, the Mediterranean and its aquamarine hues, uh, crashing surf up against big rocks, towering mountains, the cedars of Lebanon, desert, forest, beach, I mean, it's all there. Plus, Lebanon is a convergence of cultures. There's European influence. The French once governed there. There are people from Persia and the east. There's the south of Egypt and, and all the rest. And it's just this mix-up of all kinds of things. And then, of course, I've learned the Phoenicians, mm. the true Lebanese, yes. uh, the stock <laughs> of the ancient ones. Uh, it's all there so much, Maher. What a beautiful place to go home. But as you've just described, so much conflict in the mm. neighborhood. Have you ever felt yourself personally threatened? I mean, physically in harm's way? Of course, during the civil war, um, there was always tension and danger. Um, I was living outside of Lebanon, uh, where I was born and raised in the Gulf, in the Arabian Gulf. But I came back to Lebanon in the last four years of the civil war. So I experienced that um, as how a teenager. Old, how old were you then? I was about 10 years old. I see. So I've experienced the shelling and the bombing and the snipers. And uh, there was even one of the last attacks were not far from my house. So I've experienced all that fear as a teenager growing up. And then when the war ended in 1990, and then we had the Syrian government coming in and taking over the country, uh, that was a different kind of fear. Not necessarily of bombing and shelling, but a fear of... Um, not asking for freedom, not asking for independence, just being submissive and um, following orders. And for those listening who may not be so familiar with that history of Lebanon, there was a terrible civil war where factions of different Lebanese communities were at war with each other, often proxies for other foreign powers who were trying to fight their battles on Lebanese soil. That still happens today, I think. But then after that, there was a kind of peaceful veneer and during that season, the Syrian government next door actually controlled Lebanon. Is that fair to say? That's correct. And, and during that period, I'm hearing you say, Maher, that you felt a little bit uh, like the oxygen was taken out of the room, that there just wasn't room to breathe. Even though it was peaceful, it wasn't free. It, it was peace because nobody was allowed to, uh, uh, you know, shake the boat. When Syria took over the country, they controlled everything, the economy, the politics, and no freedoms. My generation is a generation of university students that went to school, went to university in, um, in the morning, took classes and in the afternoon, spent lots of time demonstrating, asking our independence. And the, the Syrian government used anything possible to crush that and to keep the peace. So it was peace, but peace with fear. And then there were some very tragic moments where Lebanon, for a time, uh, shook off that Syrian yoke, you might say. And now there's a Syrian civil war where so many refugees from Syria fleeing the, the terror and the chaos and the dangers of life in Syria right now have fled to Lebanon. So you find yourself now becoming a host to a people, a nation, that you once resented for their presence in your country. Is that fair to say also? That's, that's very correct. Um, the people that we had uh, problems with and maybe we've put our emotions of uh, hate and bitterness and anger on the side when they left the country, 
but when they came back as refugees, as armless and defenseless, and we have not dealt with those emotions and attitude, they surfaced again. And now we had to deal with it once and for all. And this is where the teaching of Jesus comes into play. Because Jesus intervenes in our lives and asks us and calls us to do things that, humanly speaking, simply would not be done. And when we come back, Meher, I want to talk a little bit about how that is working into the scenario on the ground in the place you call home, how your faith is intersecting with the headlines. As I journey through this foreign land, I need your help. I need to understand the life that you've given to me. Lord, help me to see. Oh 
Nabil Safi is uh, one of our co-hosts in our Viewpoint family of programs. He speaks in Arabic. That's his first language, Nabil. You grew up in Beirut, and uh, you speak in Arabic week by week to a world that is framed very differently from the West where I grew up. Is that fair? Yes, very fair. And uh, as we've been talking to your friend Maher today, who also grew up in Beirut and lives there still, uh, he's been describing a world of tension and conflict, a, a series of of secular events that have directly impacted his way of life. And I know that's partly your story too. Indeed, that, that's my story and we are on the same page. I mean, I can still, the, the visuals are so vivid in my memory and in my mind as well. Can you remember a time when uh, you were an eyewitness to something where you felt physically threatened, like, I'm not sure I'm going to walk away from this? Oh, definitely, because... Uh, <laughs> When the Syrian regime was kind of controlling our country, they had several checkpoints, expected and unexpected. And um, as a family, I remember when we were kind of driving uh, to our hometown in the Bekaa Valley, and uh, it's like an hour's drive from Beirut, and unexpectedly, a peaceful family were kind of uh, stopped at this checkpoint. And uh, my dad was driving, my mom was sitting up front, and I remember that me and my two sisters were sitting in the back seat. And one of the uh, officers kind of called my name. I was 11 at that time because he asked for our kind of uh, IDs. And he called my name and he asked me to step down. And uh, he, uh, he, 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 he took me to the corner room and, and there's checkpoint. And I was terrified. I was shaking to learn later that he was just fooling around. And although that was not serious, but it offended me big time. Well, it was very serious when you're a young boy. Yes. And you don't know if you're going to live or what's going to happen. Yes. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and you're just illustrating what is what an extraordinary of... story for me to hear actually was ordinary life in yeah. Lebanon. Yeah, it's abuse, but in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a creative way. Yes. And Meher is living there still in Beirut, yes. uh, facing new challenges mm -hmm. with neighbors from Syria. How many Syrian refugees do you think are in Lebanon today? The official statistics right now from the United Nations is 1.6 million. And what's the native population of Lebanon itself? It's about 4 million. So 1.6 million refugees from Syria alone. We're not speaking here of the Iraqis who fled earlier conflicts. Or even the Palestinians. Or the Palestinians who've been there for decades, yes. uh, fleeing dust-ups in their own homelands. Another 1.6 million refugees in just the last two to three years mm -hmm. from Syria, these people once occupied your land and now they're returning to your country as desperate refugees, hopeless. All right, so you're a believer, Mayor. You, you understand Jesus as Lord. What do you think Jesus is asking you and other believers in Lebanon to do in the face of this refugee crisis? He's asking us to do something very hard and in our mind would be impossible, especially for a culture that's a uh, shame and honor culture. And when people oppress you and you have a chance to oppress them, that's usually 
the common sense. That's the natural it. reaction. That's the natural reaction. Everybody is expected to not treat them well, to be still hateful and look down on them and have bitterness. But Jesus is asking the opposite to show grace and love and forgiveness. And the Bible is very clear in that. And that's what really convicted me that we teach and preach about Luke 10, the Good Samaritan. But how much are we living it? And right now we've put in that situation that we need uh, not to be like the priest and the Levi that passed by this half-dead person, which in, in our case is the Syrian refugee, but we need to good, be the good Samaritan that showed mercy. And Jesus, with his simple words, was telling me and telling the church in Lebanon, the followers of Jesus, go do likewise. And even, even a powerful verse is from Matthew 5.43 uh, that really convicted me as well where Jesus was telling his disciples, you have heard said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I'm telling you to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And you know, I, I wanted not to do this. You resisted. Uh, I resisted it. I knew, I knew what's right. And in my head, I'm like telling the Lord, uh, I know it's right, but let's put that on the side. Let's, let's turn a blind eye <laughs> on that. Let's make it exceptional. Let's make it exceptional. But the Lord didn't accept that, and I struggled with that, and I prayed, and I fought back. But at the end, I told the Lord, let your will be done. And if I need to change, help me to change. And that was the transformation of the Holy Spirit, where it transformed my heart and my emotions and my attitude so that I can look at the Syrian refugee as my brother and sister in Christ and see that they need Jesus as once upon a time I needed him. And how is that translated uh, into, into conduct? Give me an illustration of how this change that the Holy Spirit has worked and probably is still working inside of you. How is that translated into what's actually happening, what you do, what your ministry does, how you interact with this crowd of people from Syria? Youth for Christ has started engaging the Syrian refugee youth uh, with lots of programs but hand-in-hand in, hand in partnership with the local church in uh, the poor neighborhoods in Beirut and even in the Bekaa Valley near the Syrian border. And what we're doing is we're helping the church run programs and clubs that's very inviting and uh, uh, cozy and safe for the refugee youth to come to, to play and have fun and live their teenage years that um, they lost. They lost to smile, they lost uh, to, to, to laugh. And at the same time, it's showing them the love that's in, in Jesus. And, and this love is really needs to be shining through us. We need to live the gospel. We need to be the gospel. We need to be Jesus for them. And by, by providing also for some of their physical needs, because we go and visit their small rooms that they live in or in their, in their poor community of tents where, where they sit on the ground and they don't have lots of access, let's say, to water and electricity. When we go and visit with them and sit on the ground and cry with them and laugh with them and listen to them, it makes all the difference that uh, they welcome us in. And this radical attitude of showing them grace is shocking them. Because they understand that the shoe's on the other foot now. I mean, yes. they're as conscious as you are of the history. Exactly. Exactly. And because of that, they're opening up for us and they're trusting us. In a sense, they're sending their youth to the church and to the YFC program because they know it's better for the youth to be somewhere safe and loved rather to be on the streets with the wrong crowd. 
And it's so interesting to me, Maher, as you're describing this scenario, how you earlier talked about your own life experience where your teenage years were denied, and now you're restoring mm -hmm. the wonder of those teen years to these refugees from the country that had robbed so much of your own. Mm -hmm. As you have been engaged in this great work, and it's changing you, it couldn't help but change you, and changing the Syrians who have found refuge in Lebanon. Do you find some of them not just receiving the relationship from you, but they're actually beginning to rethink their, their view of the world, and maybe even of Jesus, consequent to these relationships? Yes, indeed, they are very open and very receptive to the gospel. They want to know more. They have a certain curiosity or a certain freedom they didn't have when they were back home in Syria. And that's why they're coming to church on their own, because they want to see, is Jesus really the way, the truth, and the life? And are really the, us as Christians, are we really living the Christian faith? And when they're seeing that, they're being attractive to be around the body of believers and to come be part of the church in Lebanon. You share a common language, Lebanon and Syria do, and the cultures are very closely linked historically over long periods of time. So apart from the political divisions that have been imposed in, in recent, you know, the last hundred years, let's say, do you find a lot of commonality that when, when you dig down beneath the political realities of Syria and Lebanon, that actually the people groups have much more in common than they might have imagined? For sure, because when you see geographically how close we are and how there is even intermarriages between the Syrian and the Lebanese community. Even there's some Syrian refugees, when they came to Lebanon, they stayed with Lebanese families. So there is this bonding that is there that exists for many years ago. But politics have ripped that apart and changed this relationship. As you look back on your own last couple of years and your own spiritual journey of wrestling with God himself about his call on your life to love your enemy, to share the love of Christ with those that you might otherwise have walked by, as you have put yourself in the Good Samaritan story and realized that you have to be the Good Samaritan. But for all of the turmoil and the drama that's taken place in your part of the world, are you thankful to be where you are right now? Yes, I wouldn't want to be somewhere else because we're seeing the transformation that's happening among the Syrian youth. And we're seeing the transformation of the Lebanese community that's willing to step out and minister to them. Also, they had to go through the struggles, but you have churches opening their doors to refugees, schools linked to churches open their doors to refugees. We would have never seen that happen if this crisis didn't take place. So it's bringing back people together, bringing back this sense of a peace and reconciliation. And what you've described is the wonder of the presence of Christ and the new life that's being developed, not just in the Syrian refugee community, but in the Christian community itself of Lebanon, as the Lord is so active and so present in doing what no person would do by nature, only by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. In my visits to Lebanon, I've been there several times, I have always been impressed that Jesus himself in the flesh walked in that land we now call Lebanon. There are stories of the New Testament where Jesus met, for instance, the Syrophoenician woman who begged him for help in the healing of her daughter. And that 
took place actually in what is now the modern nation state of Lebanon. And I guess I'm sharing that to say, even as Jesus walked there 20 centuries ago, he's walking there still in the body of Christ. In you, Meyer, thank you so much for sharing your story. And as you're listening to what is happening on the front lines of the kingdom in Lebanon right now, as you're looking underneath the headlines that you're watching in the printed media or maybe on cable news, you're hearing and learning about a story that not many report on, but is so real and actually more transformational than what happens on a political stage. Maybe you're thinking about your own world. Who are you walking by? What harbor of grudge or bitterness is in your heart? Who is it that you need to stop and help? Who may be vulnerable today who once took advantage of you? You see, it's not just about Lebanon and Syria. It's about life everywhere. And today, I want to invite you to take a step towards finding life in Christ. The story of the Good Samaritan actually was given by Jesus in response to a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And as the answer unfolded, we have this great parable. Luke chapter 10. Pray with us. Our Father, we're so thankful today for the testimony of believers in Lebanon, for how you take the devil's mischief, the warfare and the conflict and the loss, and you turn it around for the good as we are obedient to your call. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that can empower us to do what otherwise we could not. Thank you for Maher and for all those who work with him. We pray that right now, today, you will bless them and provide for them and encourage them. And we pray that there will be a great harvest of new life in the camps of Syrian refugees in Lebanon as a consequence of your people's obedience. And may all of us, wherever we are, surrender our lives humbly into your hands. We ask for your forgiveness, Lord, because none of us deserve your favor. But we ask for it in Jesus' name because of his work on the cross. And may we now be instruments of your grace and favor to those next in line. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, give us a call. Call us up and share your prayer request. Let us hear from you. Give us a comment. Or if you'd like to learn about how you can come alongside and help meet the test on the front lines with Syrian refugees sharing the gospel of Jesus, you call us up. 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. If you'd prefer to go online and check us out, here's our web address. CBH, that's Christians Broadcasting Hope, cbhviewpoint.org. You can read about the ministry there. You can also send us an email. We will reply. Or at the last, if you prefer, contact us by post. Just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us up by phone, check us out online, or use surface mail, let us hear from you this week. Nabil, always good to be in your company. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Jim. And thanks for bringing your friend Maher. How inspired I am. It's a pleasure. And for all of us here at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyons saying thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again next week when we bring you another story from Beirut. Until then, stay tuned.